Good afternoon, good evening, good metal. My name's Coop and welcome to the Spoken Metal Show. Every once in a while I say on the show, wouldn't it be nice to get that person back again or we'll have to speak to that person again. So it's nice when I can actually do that and bring uh, people in I've talked to before and maybe they're going on to do projects and they're doing other things. It's nice to see where they're doing. I hope that when um, you listen to this show and you listen to these people doing these projects and these things that they're involved with, it inspires you to do your own projects and your own bits and pieces and the things that you love and the things you you adore. That's that's certainly what this next guest does for me every time I see this person and watch what they do on, on, online. It really makes me feel, wow, I should really... I should really try try things and I should really try and reach out and do things outside my comfort zone to to do be better podcaster, become a better stage manager, whatever it may be, become better at doing things that I enjoy. And you can only do it by getting outside your comfort zone. So there's a lot to be learned from, from this show. This is, of course, uh, my conversation with the wonderful Andrew O'Neill. Andrew O'Neill is just about to now, in fact, uh, do a whole bunch of dates at the Edinburgh uh, Fringe, we're going going with the show. We get into that. We talk about that, which is hugely exciting. I really would suggest that you catch Andrew live. Easily the best place to see them. Easily the forum du jour to see Andrew in a, their live environment, if you, if you will. That is absolutely superb. But they also have several other projects, uh, one of which being The Damned Andrew, a radio uh, play, if you will, which I, I, I hadn't really listened to an awful lot of, and I suggest you seek that out and check that out because it's absolutely superb and very, just plain simple, really funny. But Andrew is one of those people that is constantly in, inspirational to me about the things that they're doing and the things they're getting involved with, and the work that goes into these things is is absolutely, it's it's immense. And I hope you get that from this, that, that, that Andrew works really, really hard to to get these things over the line. And sometimes they don't work out. We talk about that too. There's some failures as well as some successes. Andrew's brutally honest. They're a stand-up comedian, so they're going to be really funny anyway. I hope you get a lot from this. So I'll put some links, as always, to the various projects that, that Andrew is putting out there. But once again, please enjoy and hopefully feel inspired by the wonderful Andrew O'Neill. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, returning back to the show, um, well, from when we were last talking to them about about stand-up and comedy and metal, and now uh, just on before they go out to the Edinburgh Fringe, um, my friend Andrew, the damned Andrew O'Neill. How are we doing? Hello there. Good morning. It's the morning here, isn't it? It's the <laughs> like morning, a time, Like a time zone thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, oh, there's a lot to cover, and I won't keep because I know you're exceptionally, exceptionally busy. A friend of mine saw you, by the way, at... At Blue Dot, oh, uh, yeah. doing, doing that, and uh, and said you you were excellent. So what was interesting about that was that they are non-metallic friends. Yes. So they, uh, I think we won them over. That's the <laughs> point of the show. That's so. Yeah. So I did I did the history of heavy metal at Blue Dot, having yeah. um, as the first time I've done it in five years. The last time I did it was a recording of the of the DVD, um, and it was it was weird. I it was interesting. I wasn't sure if I was going to enjoy it, and I did an online preview. Oh God! I, like it was awful. <laughs> it was, I it was awful because um, uh, at the beginning of, of the pandemic, I got used to doing online gigs, and I got used to how um, muted the responses, and so you just build that in. But doing that show, you know, 
every other time I've done it, I've been in a room with people and like the worst it's ever gone. People have reacted <laughs> at least. And then the online one, I was like, Oh God, this is what, and you know, and, it, and it's a show that I lasted five years ago. It's a show that I wrote nine years ago. So it's like half my career ago. Um, anyway, I did it at blue, at, boy, I did it at blue dot and I, and it was like, it was, it was incredible. But I, like I redid all the backing tracks and stuff and it sounded really, really good. I'm a much better player than I was when I last did it. Cause I've been playing, I've been doing like solo music shows and all that sort of thing. So, so I was like a much, it was really interesting. I was a much more confident and fluent guitar player. So like, and I feel a little bit like, I don't know, like in the middle of a show, you start playing the, 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 like the middle eight bit from, um, uh, from Angel of Death. And that, that's always been just, just, you know, just flying by the seat of my pants to do it like you know i could play it but like playing it properly but now it, that's that much easier that was that so that was really nice and there's about a thousand people in the room eight hundred thousand people and and people like really loved it and there were enough metal heads there but the, the show was like i wrote the history of heavy metal with my mum in mind so every center <laughs> is like will my mum well just that yeah clean the meaning from this even though yeah. there's like so there's a there's a there's a there's a there's like a subtext. It's like the way Disney write, you know, the way Disney make films. There's jokes for the adults, jokes for the kids, but you've got to make sure the kids get everything. Sort of and it, runs so, it, yeah. it was great. And the response was amazing. I'm considering, I'm considering doing something along the lines of like maybe doing it once a year in a different city or something like that. Just sort of, you know, I don't want to do it regularly again. I've, I've got too much other, I've got far too many other ideas <laughs> in my like ADHD swirling brain. And if I do that, it means I'm not doing another show, you know, so I love that uh, you use your barometer the same way I do for um, like success. So like my mum was always the barometer of fame. Yeah. So if I said if I said to my mum, do you? I, I was hanging out with Terry King, blank. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing at all. And it was only when I said that I'd met someone like Jack Black, and right. she went, "Oh, I recognise him from the television or the movie or whatever." And that yeah. was how I graded fame. I was like, oh, my yeah, my mum totally. doesn't know who you are. It, it doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, but. Well, one of the things that they that came across apparently at the blue a blue dot thing was that your enthusiasm with it. The, uh, that's the, nice. So my man says says, oh, the guy really loved what they, what what they were doing. They really enjoyed it and they were knowledgeable about it. And I think that that passion is what you're going to Trojan horse metal into. Yeah, um, people's sort of psyche and stuff who maybe hadn't considered it before. Well, that's it, and I think because I think in the when in in the in the the eighties and nineties metal started to splinter into into sort of subgenres. I think it, it and and it became, it became a subculture. You know, I mean, the, like when I was doing my research in the eighties, I was really surprised. In the in the early to mid eighties, metal is in like smash hits and stuff, and it's part it's part it's part of the landscape of pop music in a way that for for my generation it absolutely wasn't. It was ghettoized into Kerrang and Metalham or whatever, um, and and then and I don't think that's true anymore because I think the way young young people the way young people consume. <laughs> culture there aren't any subcultures anymore really you know the kids who love like you know proper like teenagers who love metal now most of them listen to a shitload of other stuff as well they don't they don't you know day to day they don't and this is you know the majority they don't dress like their metalheads they don't in a way that you know i my identity is bound up in it so you know it's 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 the same as when i saw metallica playing glastonbury like it felt yeah. like that was it was like an away game <laughs> like, <laughs> But watching, but watching everyone going, oh, I get it. Like you know, and it's funny because I think we can we can be very gatekeepy. As, as, as the whole Stranger Things has proved, we can be quite gatekeepy about Metallica, forgetting the fact that 
they're one of the biggest bands in the world. And of course, if you go and see a Metallica gig, most of the people there aren't metalheads. Like more than 50% of the people at a Metallica headline show are not metalheads. They're people who like Metallica, you know, and Maiden's much more of a thing. You know, there are, there are people who like Maiden. There are people who love Maiden that don't listen to any other metal band. Any other, yeah, yeah. At well, it's all. like, I, th- I totally, yeah. I mean, during the 80s and 90s, you know, Judas Priest was on top of the pops. And yeah, it wasn't yeah, like, yeah. A, it, was, it wasn't a novelty act. They were just on playing it, United yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the young ones had Motorhead, which is when I first see a metal band. So it was all there. I think what happened is that because it was so difficult to get this music or so sometimes so difficult to see this music, you had to kind of pick your poison back then. You had to go, okay, yeah. well, I'm going to have to be a metalhead because I'm going to have to force all my energy into this particular type of music. Yeah, now, yeah. As, you, as you say, there is a myriad of, of options and streaming services and ways to to uh, you know, take this music. Yeah, in. that's right. So people listen to, to many things. Is then... Um, as a history of heavy metal, is that become one of your uh, greatest hits that you will, that you, like you say, you'll do every year, then you'll do a, a, a more expanded version of it and that type of thing? I think so. I mean, I, I literally, the reason I did it at Blue Dot was they offered me enough money. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. the, the booker for, I did it, I did it at a gig um, for, for the booker years ago, like a really early version of it. And she really loved it and, and thought it really worked well in a festival setting. And she was doing Blue Dot. And, you know, with enough notice, she's like, do you want to do it for this much money? I was like, yeah, all right. And I thought, all right, I won't, I won't, I won't do it with the band. I'll do it on my own. I'll redo it. And then I had to, re- I had to relearn the show. I had to watch the DVD to relearn the show. <laughs> and, I was, and, and I was watching it going, that's good, this. Uh, you know, like, because it's been so long. Um, yeah. It, it'll, I, I, so so pre- previous to doing it, like, however long ago, three, three weeks ago, I pretty much thought I'd never do it again maybe with like a 10 year anniversary thing or something like that. But, um, it, it's interesting. Yeah. Cause it's sort of, it's like having done it there, I've gone, right. I can do a really good version of it without that much prep. Um, I've got the slides. I've got the back of tracks now that sound really great, better than, better than, cause I did it solo with really shitty. Like I literally used like a drum machine on a, on a web browser. It's that much more. Do you want me to do a back of traffic? And there's one that's, <laughs> I think the, the, I think the breaking the law one was really good. Um, but the thing, I mean, at the moment, so at the moment, I'm doing, so the show I'm about to take to the Edinburgh Fringe, um, which starts on Saturday, um, is we're not in the least afraid of ruins. We carry a new world in our hearts. And it's a show about um, consumerism and climate change. And it's a show about, it's it, it's it's building in people the, the, the narrative that we can do something about climate change. Because... If you just panic about it, you're not going to do anything. And if you, you know, there's a nihilism that's creeping in of like, oh, you know, this it's it's, it's not. And it, actually, funny that if you if you look at the mainstream narrative about climate change, it switched quietly. It switched about three or four years ago from man-made climate change is a myth to climate change is real, but it's going to be too expensive to prevent it. And it was a really subtle shift. And they're basically saying, um, and the, you know, the very rich are saying, well, we're not going to give up the, you know, the, 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 the kind of attributes of, of being incredibly wealthy. You're just going to have to put up with there being a vastly reduced amount of fertile land due to sea salt flooding. Um, so salt water flooding, sorry. So, um, so it's about basically building that myth. And this is, this is a show I did in 2019. Obviously COVID has like disrupted the normal kind of, I was going to tour it extensively during uh, 2020 and then COVID got in, in, in the way of that. So I'm doing that show again at the fringe. And also, cause I just did damned Andrew, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, uh, uh, I haven't had time to write a new show. 
and it felt like this show hadn't had its full its full sort of run out mm. um but i'm also like i'm also writing a show about non-binary i'm also writing sketches every month with my mate stephen carlin i've got this like um adhd like restlessness when it comes to creating stuff because the, the thing like say you, my friends who write books they'll maybe write one book every one or two years right and that and then it's out and that's it and, it's, and then they start writing the next one but with a show you write it and then you have to go out and perform it and there's to those two elements to it i suppose like touring an album i suppose um and the thing is the next show is never far behind so i've got a show about non-binary i'm i'm, I'm developing um i need to do I need to do a load of interviews and stuff with non-binary people for that. But that's that's kind of gestating. Then there's like my next, I'm going to do a stand-up special, um, which is like all the material I've written over the kind of lockdown. I'm going to do like a half an hour. So like the difference between a special and a solo show, apparently, is like a special is just like a set of comedy. So I'm going to mm. film that and stick that out. So so if I, if I was going to do the metal show regularly, the, where's the room for all the other stuff do you know what i mean but it's it but it feels like it feels like it's it's nice because it, it I, for the first time really in my in my career i feel now like i've got this body of work you know you have that, that i can then go well i've got this and i've got this and i think it's when i when i finished damned andrew and i was like right i've got that i've got the metal show i've got all these solo shows a load of like, i've got two shows that i filmed that i haven't put up for public consumption yet um which is um andrew neil's black magic fun hour which is the show about me my life being disrupted by by doing black magic um and there's a show i'm a rich man and i have many sons uh which is the next show in a in a in the series which is about my love affair with the audience about giving the audience good doing a show that gives the audience everything they want and everything they need and all these shows are part of a cabalistic path working so the so the black magic fun hour was um was hod and mercury and hermes um, I'm a rich man and I have many sons. It's Netzach and it's it's um, Venus and Aphrodite. The ritual I did for that was fucking banging. I genuinely put a Barry White playlist on, <laughs> right? <laughs> it was really fun um, and quite sexy. And the one I'm currently doing, um, uh, we're not the least afraid of ruins. We carry a new world in our hearts. Is my Tiferet show, and it's about sun and solar energy and the, the you know the sort of your 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 the centre of yourself and your heart and stuff. And um, and so like for that one there's 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 a load of it's quite funny when i did when i did i'm a rich man and i have many sons that begins with with a ritual in which um i i i've i've looped um eight times the orphic no that sorry seven times um the um the orphic hymn to aphrodite and i play this like ambient um this incredible ambient track which i then play on the guitar i do a a, a a, a circle of rose petals on the ground right and this 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 goes on for about five minutes as they're coming in and at the end of the show this bloke goes to me oh how come there's no occult stuff in this one <laughs> mate you have you really you've really failed to see the wood for the trees here um so um uh, and so and there's loads of there's loads of i mean the 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 track i keep hitting my pop shield the track at the beginning of um i'm a rich man uh, sorry uh, my current one uh, we're not the least afraid of ruins is a sun uh, track um it's uh, with nurse with wound so there's this ambient track by the band sun the song that comes on at the end is, is here comes the sun uh so it's like there's and there's and it's all about solar power and stuff and 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 how there is a conspiracy against the sun um so yeah, so so all of these shows are part of this magical path working. So then I go, yeah, should I, should I tour the metal show again? I'm like, well, fucking when? But I, I don't know if you saw me post. <laughs> I don't know if you saw me post on on 
Love. I don't know what you mean. Yeah. All oh, right. So. Okay, so my friend Mark Burrows, who's the bass the bass player in The Men Are Not Been Made for Nothing, he's my best mate. He um he writes he's an author, he's a really good author, done an incredible book on Terry Pratchett, uh, The Magic of Terry Pratchett. If you're a Pratchett fan, like you've got you've got to get into it, it's really good. And he's writing one at the moment on um David Bowie and Mark Bolan. He's a really good writer. And he, he's with this small publisher um that mainly do like military history and stuff like that, sort of sort of weird imprint. And he said to me, uh, just a heads up <laughs> Someone's pitched a book to my publisher, which they're going to publish, called A History of Heavy Metal. And he said, I've told the, I've just spoke to the publisher about it. So, so then I found this person online, and they're like, I'm announcing in 2027, I've got a book there, and I'm going to publish this book, A History of Heavy Metal. And I went, oh. and I'm like, all right, let's just try and be nice. Let's not be a fucking, you know. And, and I went, best of luck with it. Best of luck with it. Maybe call it something else. Thinking this person will go. Maybe. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know there was a book called that because Google I can't <laughs> use fucking Google. And then this person was like, "Yeah, I love your book." Uh, right. What? And then, they, and, and then they're like, "They're like, it's a, it's, it's a working title." And I'm thinking, "Hang on, right? It, it, how long does it take to come up with a better work? If you can't come up with a better working title, you're not gonna be able to write a fucking whole book." Like, how much work have you done? Yeah. I know, right? So that was that was number one. And I was like, right, that's fucking bullshit. And then apparently this person said to Mark, oh, I, and I remember this. Oh, yes, I, I told Andrew what they got wrong about Venom, which was something about it was like when oh. it was when um, it was when Mantas was and what wasn't in it or something like that. I don't know. Um, I can't. I, I wrote the book and I've forgotten half of what's in there now. Um, <laughs> anyway, so so they've clearly gone. Well, Andrew got something wrong, so I'm going to write the definitive book. Like, whatever. So, and then, like, two days ago, was it, no, it was yesterday, someone went, and on episode three of, no, it was on episode four of A History of Heavy Metal in a Hundred Songs, we talk about Destructor 9000, my Twitter handle, and, and their amazing book. And I'm like, and, and it's like, they also use, like, the Maiden font, like I do it on the fucking DVD. Oh. And it's like, so you've gone, A History of Heavy Metal, I really like this book. I will do that as a podcast. It just like, which is fine, but just fucking call it something else. (laughs) Just like a chronology of heavy metal or like, you know, the story of metal in a hundred songs. Like that's literally all it fucking needs. We've just just workshopped it there. And in like a minute came up with a better title. But that's just, I saw that myself and I was like, come on, you know, come on. Yeah, I was like, okay, am I being precious here? Am I being, uh, you know. I don't think so. It's like calling yourself Ferris Maiden. It's like, just come on, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Make make a couple of extra steps here, you know. But I guess that's that's part of what happens when you write something. You know, when when we last talked, you were very, very keen to say it was a history of heavy metal. Your view of history. And I totally got that. I completely understood that. And and that and to, to suddenly like read that book and then for maybe one error in inverted commas to find that in, in some. Oh, that, I mean, there were loads. But then to use that to go right. Well, I can write a better book. And, oh, and, and I just, but just oh, it's just oh come on. He's I, the I, guy. He's yeah. the guy that when you're doing this in a pub. And you're doing a history of every metal. They'll, they'll shout it out. Do history of every metal. Do history yeah, of every... I know, I know. And I know, it's like, fucking hell, mate. Like you say, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I, I'll put links to a lot of Andrew's stuff on here because 
I find that you, you're doing some really great stuff, a very different variant type. So although it's under a very similar umbrella, it's moving in vastly different directions. It's nice yeah, to hear that you've, that, you've got a, that you've got an arc. Does that does that does that end and move on to something else? So we are with the the ending. Point I don't that? I don't know. So in terms of that cabalistic pathworking thing, I mean, I got into like in terms of that being how I do shows. That was that was kind of accidental. I was doing a show. In fact, I've, I can show you the poster because it's right here. Um, <laughs> the story the story of the story of um, so that's that's that like the show the show I was doing that became Black Magic Fun Hour was originally called Andrew Neal is trapped down a well. I was writing that show while I was writing the book, uh, A History of Heavy Metal, uh, published by Headline, um, uh, available in uh, still, <laughs> still. I think we're on. The, I can't remember how many pressures we've, we've sold a fuckload of them. That's great. Um, so anyway, um, I was doing that show when I finished writing the book. I did it. So during the show, I was using ritual magic to help me write it, and I was invoking gods of writing. So Hermes from the Greek tradition, Mercury from the Roman, Thoth from ancient Egypt, um, and doing little rituals to invoke these gods, who I then thank in the, the front of the book. And and it genuinely helps. Now, let's not, I don't know how magic works. I don't want to get into the mechanism of it. It might well be just the placebo effect. It doesn't matter, because if you mm. trick your brain into thinking it's the magic that's doing it, the effect is the same, right? And I and I genuinely found that my um, my writing improved, and I felt that the writing was flowing better. And I felt I had a more I had a better connection to my unconscious brain, to like the so the sort of fertile, creative parts of my of my consciousness. Anywho, finished writing the book, set the draft the, the 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 final draft off, um, and then I did a big ritual um, to invoke to thank these gods, right? And um, and it was it blew my mind. Um, it was the most intense ritual I've ever done. And Mercury said to me, everything you do represents me because I am the god of the spoken word. And, and Mercury is a really good god to be, um, um, and Hermes are basically the same, um, as a stand-up because they're gods of commerce, they're gods of liars, of thieves, of poets, of writers. It's it's a really good sort of, and you know, the messenger yeah. of the gods, right? Um and so it's quite a good ally, but quite actually quite a scary god, as, I, as I've come to find over the years. And but the idea, but then there was a vi- basically said, raise your game, like, <laughs> okay. and it was like you know, so you're representing me now, and it was not, and it felt a bit like in you know, like in like the mafia, like when you get made, it was like <laughs> right, you know, well done, but now you represent well, us, right? Yeah. And it was, and and then the day after someone in Melbourne had seen a preview of Andrew Neil's trapped down a well. And they said, there's someone else here doing a show about being trapped down a well. And it was like, and the, the artwork, not that artwork I just showed you, but the artwork was like almost exactly the same. Similar. And it was like, and then I got in touch with this comic and it's like, the show's exactly the same idea. It was exactly the same idea about being trapped down a well, doing a show down the bottom. And then I'm like, fuck, this is Mercury making me raise my game because being trapped down a well, it's not original idea. It's part of, you know, it's floating out there. It's a, it's like a trope. And I should be better than if I'm representing these these gods. I should be better than just taking a trope. So then the show became Andronia's Black Magic Fun Hour. It became about representing. I opened with the Orphic hymn to Hermes, stripped on my waist, burning incense. Hermes, draw near and to my prayer incline. Angel of Jove and my son divine. It's like the boldest opening to a show I've ever done. And at that point, it became the best show I've I've ever, I'd ever done. And then like, okay, so what do I do next? Well, let's move along the cabalistic 
path let's move along the tree of life let's go to netzach venus aphrodite let's do a ritual and see what they tell me i need to do the show about and then that became very clearly you need to do this show about your relationship with the audience so that became this really fun like right now what we need in the show is this and now we need and it was really it was a beautiful show is one of the hopes as well when you when you we talk about like the metal side of things that you that you uh, inject within everything that you're doing and the hope is that someone goes and picks up rain and blood or master of puppets or anything like, and, and starts to listen to that music because we know it's it's artistic yeah. worth and, it, and it's powerful worth is the thought process that someone also uh, when they're listening to this and, and hearing about ritualistic magic and things like that is the hope that they will go and check that out because it will improve their life is it something that you would encourage people to start investing no <laughs> no stay away well the so black magic fun hour is a is is partly about magic but the other the, the subsequent two shows are not about magic i don't talk about magic in them at all right they are magic they are rituals yes yeah so people who are at the show are what so in black magic fun hour they're part of the ritual when i tell them and the other two they're not part of the ritual but i am performing a ritual in front of them um and 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 they don't they don't talk about mag- I mean there are various little signs and signifiers oh, so, yeah. inside the shows that people will pick up on. Um, I mean even like on on the, the tour version of, of Ruins, the current one, all of my pre-show music is. I mean you know my pre-show music starts with People of the Sun, right? And it's you know it's you go have you are we you know lazing on a sunny afternoon. Um, it, 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 and the themes are there for people to see, um, but I don't necessarily i mean everyone can do magic but very importantly um it fucks you up and that's kind of the in the western magical tradition um i mean um oh who's the, the guy um oh there's a really good writer's name just jumped out of my head he wrote chicken Kabbalah. lon milo duquette talks about magic as sending you insane in a socially acceptable way Right. Yeah. And so, so, and, and, and it does, if people get, so I'm like, I'm a bit obsessed with the band Coil, right? Coil were, of any band I've ever seen, and that includes all metal bands, right? They were the most committed in their art to the art being magic and the magic being art and it all being one thing. They're both dead. And Genesis Peorage is dead. Um, Dave J from Bauhaus and Love and Rockets got really into magic, then got fucking terrified and, ran away from it and got rid of all his stuff. Mick Jagger, when he dabbled in magic in the late 60s, after Altamont and all that stuff, he burnt all of his magic books, which is a fucking magically a terrible idea. But he, you know, he got rid of all his, and the Stones got petrified and got rid of all their magic stuff. Sabbath, when they started, did dabble, no matter what they fucking tell you, they did dabble and it fucking terrified them. And that's what the song Black Sabbath is all about. And loads of mad stuff happened to them. And, as what you've got to do as a magician is experience that scary stuff push through it and then that will keep happening you keep and and it's you know i've had two nervous breakdowns since i started doing magic and i and i don't know whether it's related or not i don't know whether being detached from reality and being detached from an ability to i don't know i suppose kind of control the narrative of what's happening in my life is because of magic or just because of the you know my inherent brain or you know midlife crisis or relationships and you know who knows so mm. so so the short answer is no the shows are not there to encourage people to do magic i don't you know i mean i and i'm a dabbler right i am a beginner 
I am fucking. I'm. I talk. You know, if if you know, if uh, Crowley was 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 Stravinsky, I'm playing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star on a child's piano, right? It's you know. Sure. But everyone can use magic, and it does, mm. and it does work. Um, and it, you know, how deep you get into it is. And I mean, fucking hell, you know, if people think gatekeeping. Sorry, if people think gatekeeping exists in metal, the occult <laughs> world is like. Because yeah. it's because people in, in occultism, so many people define themselves by what they know and how you know. Because most people get into it because they they fundamentally think they're better than other people, <laughs> and and also they're nearly all goths, and we know what they're like. <laughs> so you know that's yeah. so it's it's you know whereas metal has got that amazing Halford sort of um, you know no I, do, I, do, I don't mind if other people wear heavy metal pieces you know because you know, people see a Judas Priest and it's like the power of heavy metal it doesn't matter if I don't like the band you know they just they just draw to the power of heavy metal you know versus like if you haven't read all of Crowley then you know nothing you know? <laughs> yeah it's and that's why it was so nice and it was I, I was really happy to see because I thought I, for me it represented a real zenith of the stuff that you were doing when i saw the the damn andrew get announced and oh, yeah. you would you and i was really happy because it was like this is this is andrew really really kind of as the andrew well, i know uh, yeah. that maybe some uh, only see shades of and so when i saw that announced i was really excited and then there was people getting announced for it uh you know uh, jen brister and stuff and some fabulous people that you're, you're working with and then obviously the, the, the wonderful Alan Moore yeah. and stuff. And it was, and then, so I'm, I'm listening to the episodes. I'm up to the third one now because I've listened to them twice. It moves at a pace. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm loving it. But it moves at a pace. Welcome to my brain. <laughs> and it's, it, it, and you're missing, and I, and I never thought it would happen in a, in, in a, uh, a radio play where, you, where I would miss stuff. So, you know, when you watch a film or a television show and there's stuff that the second time yeah. you watch it, you go, okay, that was the hint for this. There's yeah, this yeah. in that. It's, it's very layered and, I, and I'm really enjoying it. I mean, when did the when did the the inception of that happen, and and, to, and how did we get to where we are now? Where is an actuality? Really, really, really long process. The it began. So I did a show ten years ago, um, which is my first show about occultism, which is a which is called a cult comedian. And that's on YouTube. People can watch that on YouTube in seven parts. I'm proud of it, but it very much that's very much me ten years ago. <laughs> And in terms of comedy, I'm a much better comic now. In terms of my magic, I'm a very different magician now. Um, but that was that was talking about my baby steps in 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 magic. As a really, I, and I'm pr really proud of that show. That show got me a lot. And again, is that because of the magic or you know? But that <laughs> show unlocked so much. I mean, that was a show that I ended up going to Australia with it. I got a DVD deal out of it. Um, with the DVD never came out, but you know, but I got so that meant like three years of financial backing from the DVD company, and um, all this really great stuff came out of it. Um, including Stuart Lee came to see it. Um, he really loved it. Then I did the Stuart the red button content on Stuart Lee's comedy vehicle. That's also on YouTube. Um, and then Richard Webb, Richard Webb, who was the producer, and Tim Kirby, who was the director of Stuart Lee's comedy vehicle, said, "Let's do a TV show." based around your magic let's do a sitcom where you're a magician you're going about your day so we then shopped around production companies and pitching stuff to telly is the most fucking frustrating process it's it's just basically when people go oh i've got a i've got a tv deal you go cool let me know if it's if you can actually <laughs> make it you know yeah i mean i don't know if you've yeah. seen bat like batgirl has just been like yeah, cancelled like, yeah they've made it and they're Hold not. On. They're not going to put it out. It's completely. So, so can you imagine? Can you imagine that you got that far 
and then it doesn't go. So they, they anyway. made they, they just canned a, a Scooby Doo animated uh, film that cost forty million dollars. I did not doesn't get, does not, not make any fucking sense. Does anyway, insane, right? Absolutely insane. Um, and evil to evil to spend forty million dollars on something. Yeah, on anything. anything. Yeah, How I'm fucking evil is that? Anyway, so, so, so anyway, I mean, you know, the KLF burning a million quid pales in comparison. So, <laughs> so, so, um, we shopped around. We, it was one, one, with one production company. They fucked us over. Then it, then we took it to the BBC. It was in-house with the BBC. Um, and because Richard Webb, who was producing it in the meantime, had got a job in-house as a, as a producer with a BBC comedy. We pitched it to them. They decided they didn't want it annoyingly because they said there's another show that's too similar. Fuck knows what that was. Um, and then at the point at which, so by at this point, um, I'm friends with Neil Gaiman and Neil said, Neil read the script um, and he really liked it. Um, and he gave me some really good feedback um, and, and notes. And then when I said, oh, they haven't gone for it, he said, well, do you want me to executive produce it for something like Netflix? And I said, Yes. <laughs> right. Easy. Yeah. I said, yes, please, Neil Gaiman. And so, <laughs> so then, so then we began the process of producing it with trying to get it produced with Neil. Um, and I mean, this fucking, this is, this is, a, this is a really good illustration of what happens in telly. So then we had, a, so then we shopped it around. So we had backing from Fremantle, who's the company that makes, puts the money up for good omens. Um, and then we took it to stolen picture, which is, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost's production company. Um, so we ended up, me and Tom, my co-writer, ended up in a meeting with Neil Gaiman, Simon Pegg, this guy Miles from the production company. Um, and we're like, and, and Simon's going, this is great, we should do this, we should do that. It reminds me of District 9, you know, like there's this, we should, you know, like there's a world that's got used to this thing and that's where we begin. He really, he was really kept saying District 9. And then they really pushed it to be like this. We, our original script reminded everyone of the young ones because it's like you open a kitchen cupboard and there's a Victorian urchin in there. Yeah. And and he's like, but, you know, so, and then they're going, they're, you know, yeah, but every, we need, the story needs to develop with every episode. The story needs to develop with every episode, like The Good Place. You know, the, have you seen The Good Place? So, yeah. you know, each, at the end of each episode, there's like a twist. There's so, another so, twist. Yeah. In the, yeah. So, so, and that was the zeitgeist at this point in this meeting. And then it got went further and further. And then they went, yeah, we don't want it. I was like, oh, fuck. Right. Okay. Yet again, this is like a 10 year process. And then, but then we're on a Zoom meeting with this guy, Oliver from Fremantle, with Neil and Miles from the, from, from Stolen Picture. The day before I said to Neil, what do you reckon? He went, they're going to pass on it. This is, this is a courtesy call, but so we're on a zoom meeting. Miles says, yeah, we're, we, we're not going to go forward with this. Okay. But we really like you guys and we want to work with you. Now, Neil said that doesn't normally happen. That's really special. So then we, so, so what, what else can we do? And then we developed this idea called Barley. So in September, 2019, my wife's sister died in the November of that year me and Stephanie moved to Milton Keynes to raise her 10 year old. So we now raising her kid. And so we wrote a story about this like mid-level metal guitarist who discovers <laughs> that he, cause he is a, he, he discovers that he has a daughter. He never knew about that's 10. Cause he was on tour 10 years ago and the mother didn't want him to know the mother wanted to raise her on her own. So he has to go to this really weird town in the, like a satellite town of Milton Keynes to raise this 10 year old girl he never knew he had. And, he and the mother's disappeared in mysterious circumstances. And the village is doing a six month long ritual to prevent the, um, um, a, 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 
road being you know built right through the middle of their town um and they're going to kill barley it's a folk horror about Whoa, me raising a 10 year old i didn't i didn't know i had right yeah comedy now <laughs> with this with this idea neil's going this is it this is the one this is this the is idea the this is amazing oliver from Fremont is going yes who hadn't who had at no point shown any genuine enthusiasm because he's you know he was a uh, an executive of the company yeah. he's like miles like this is like this, this is, is the show one. right so we develop it we develop it we develop it then and this ha- this is what happens in tv neil takes a back seat because he's got good omens he's got sandman he's doing all this stuff he can't he can't be an active part of this anymore he gives us another writer who's, who we're going to work with who was really great my sorry oliver from Fremantle leaves Fremantle to move to become a commissioner at sky arts miles dies shit no i sort of stolen picture died all of a sudden no one that we were working with on this is there anymore there's tragedy horrible horrible tragedy and grief in stolen picture we then neil goes to someone else freemans would give us these essentially sort of faceless scenes <laughs> sorry if you're listening <laughs> we get another producer from so a new producer who kind of comes in to deal with this crazy situation in stolen picture where the person who is their producer um has fucking died so lucy's mm. now starting to pick up all these other projects so no one who we're working with has the enthusiasm that any of them have, right? But nevertheless, we jump through hoops. We keep working on it, keep working on it. We get we get our pitch document to the point that they say, we think this is great. We think it's ready to go out. It's ready to pitch. Now we need to start thinking about casting. The lead character, the one I'm playing, is called Max, right? And I get an email from Lucy saying, yeah, we need to find someone to play Max. <laughs> what? And I was on okay. my way to a gig in Liverpool at the time. I'd just come out of um, Lime Street Station and I read this email and my stomach just did a somersault. And I was like, and I rang her and I said, um, hi. And she's like, oh, hello. Because we'd never, I'd never spontaneously rung her. She went, I said, I'm playing Max. Oh, yeah. I'm I, Max. I, 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 <laughs> I cannot understand how this being a vehicle for me didn't translate. That's everyone, everyone I was working with knew that. It's a, it's a character based on my situation in my life. I am a stand-up comedian. It's my middle name is Max. <laughs> my middle name is Max. <laughs> so then she goes, oh, what? okay. <laughs> so then we don't hear from them for months. Right. Meanwhile, in lockdown, we had, um, could just as, just as something to do as an online show. So I've been doing online shows every week to stop myself going mad and to make some money. So I said, well, why don't we do a read-through of this old script of Damned Andrew we've got as like a an online thing? Yeah. So, you know, it's just like this, you know, like this ancient tome <laughs> blowing dust off, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, you know, <laughs> George W. Bush, oh, we'll never have a worse president than him. Uh, and <laughs> and so, so we did it, and it was really fun. And I said to Tom, well, look, why don't we – this is this has got – some energy left this idea still still really got some energy it's got some life so why don't we pitch it to to bbc radio 4 so i spoke to alison who produced um pharmacist baffler which was the the two-part show i did on radio 4 about um as i then uh sort of conceptualized it transvestism i'm now not you know uh, see it as non-binary um 
and that's and then that's how that's how damned Andrew got made for the radio. It, uh, that's the, that's the process, uh, um, and that you know, and and then the, the you know, and then it's like we start writing and we start, you know, we start actually finally actually writing the thing, which was a, a very intense process, a very difficult process and, and a huge, huge learning process, a very steep learning curve for me because I'd never written narrative comedy before. Um, and I'd never written with anyone else before in that, in that way either. Um, and, and I'm really, I'm really, so, so for listeners, I've Dan Andrew was available on BBC sounds um, internationally. And I'm really, really proud of it. And we got Alan Moore to do, I wrote the narrator part for Alan and he agreed to do it. And then like, it took me so, so long to pluck up the courage to ask him again, just in case, you know, oh, actually I'm a bit. You weren't being nice. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Was it, was it a moment as well when you sent the the thing, when you sent it, you were like hovering over the send to send to Alan, like, oh, I'm going to send him these words. I hope he likes it. Was it? Yeah. Is there a moment? Yeah. Yes, Fuck yeah. Sure. Oh, God, mate. I'm sending my writing to the yeah. world's greatest living writer. Like, yeah. fuck. And yeah. so, but I mean, Alan doesn't have the internet. So, so Joe, who's, <laughs> Joe, who's his assistant, who's, who's a mate. I mean, Alan's, Alan's a, a friend as well, but like, um, uh, but like, um, Yes. I mean, the answer to that is definitively, I was shitting my pants <laughs> that the writing I was sending to fucking Alan Moore, and it was in his style. He's got these amazing spoken word things that he did um, with Steve Moore back in the day, uh, Dave J and, and um, Tim Perkins. Uh, they're, they're on YouTube. One's called The Highbury Working. One's called Snakes and Ladders. He did one called The Birth Call, which I still can't find. But uh, The Highbury Working and Snakes and Ladders are, are two of my very, very favourite cultural things. But I wrote his stuff in that voice in his voice. Mm. and and he's like yeah okay you 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 know yeah oh, 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 yeah, oh yeah we could do that and 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 then <laughs> i said to joe like did he enjoy it and joe said i could tell he really loved doing the jokes oh. and he, and i think he pictures it i mean i listened to it and honestly like the hair on the back of my neck like for alan moore reading my words like fuck this is and and yeah. i i just yeah. i had to just sit with that because you know in in life right you you achieve something and then it's like, it becomes that thing of like, I don't want to belong to a club that will have me as a member. If you achieve mm. something, sometimes that achievement can feel devalued because you're all there. Yeah. So, so, and what that means, there's, there's, it's called hedonistic adaption. And what that means is, so for example, we live in a world of material abundance. We eat in a way that a medieval king could only dream of, right? Mm. But you know, I'm bored of this food, you know, you know and, and it's hedon, hed, hed, hedonistic adaption or hedonic adaption which is why your achievements can quite very quickly pale when you want to move on to the next thing. And I just had to spend a day just going, Alan Moore, fucking Alan Moore is really, and he does it so well. And what, what's particularly nice is he does it in his, in his narration. And then he also bit, got the double edged sword of, of him being really obviously an, an amazing <coughs> writer and voice and, and person. But he's also your friend, so you know if he's going to say give you notes and tell you stuff, you're going to have to like really take it on board. He's, he's a oh, great yeah. writer, but, but he's just, also your friend. But he didn't give me any notes; he just did it, oh. and like and 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 I think that was his respect for my text, right? But what's really good is the way he then goes, and unfortunately, uh, you know, we we London needs a hero. Unfortunately, what they have is Andrew O'Neill, a non-binary headbanging bellend. And like, the tone in which he does that is so fucking good. I really, really love it. I really love it. Uh, but then we've got Andrew O'Neill. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I mean, it's really fucking funny. I'm really proud of Dan Andrew. Well, I'm, 
I mean, we are. We will, of course, try and get a second series. We will, of course, try and pitch it to TV again. Mm. And I think a second series will be will be a significant jump up. It will be our uh, ride the lightning. It'll be like we've worked <laughs> out we've worked out how to do it. Worked out what we're doing. Worked out what the show is and who the characters mm. are. And then having learned how to write a radio a radio comedy series, the next one will be like. And now. This is where we really start. It, to it get almost to work, becomes you know? a, a, a proof of concept then by, by yes. that, that. Yeah, yeah. It becomes, yeah. It. And then you, 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 you're just taking the whole process an extra couple of steps to be yeah. televisual or, or whatever. Oh, that's be. right. And, and, the, and I tell you what, right. I, I don't know if right visually, <laughs> which is finally what, but that's like why you're, you're finding it so, so late. Cause if you, as, as a TV show, you've got loads of stuff in the background. And I would always want it to be full of, like, do you remember Calamity James yeah, the, and the Beano? Yeah, yeah. Right? Do you remember how the background panels of Calamity James was always like, there'd be a bird drinking worm-flavoured yoghurt. And, yeah. like, and you know, a, a, a sign saying, eat more mints, the mints marketing board. That's what I want Dan Andrew to be like yeah. on the TV. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, really textured, really laid. And this, like, the world, because it's, it's it, you know, you're depicting a world that's had... Um, uh, goetic demons living in it for a year and has adapted to that and so you know um, but we had trying and it was really it was a quite a fascinating process trying to depict a world that's so strange on the radio only through dialogue without someone going look it's a description of a thing you know <laughs> But so I was, got... listen, I was, I was there in the Astoria when you were, when you were in the yeah, Capitalist Astoria. Yeah, yeah, I thought yeah. it was a beautifully depicted moment in there Thank about, you. you know, from someone that was actually been there and yeah. been in there when it's been empty as well. Yeah. And you describe it as a, as a school and stuff uh, being empty. I thought it was, it was brilliant. And I think what it is, it's a proof of concept and it's a, and it, what's great is that there's more meat left on the bone, so to speak. That when totally. it becomes televisual, you can read that become that scene becomes massively expanded yeah, and, be, yeah. and beautiful in that way. So I, I know you're very busy, so we'll have to let Andrew Andrew go. He is uh, he's hey. going to be performing in, at the fringe. <laughs> I'm just going to correct your pronoun there. <laughs> you've been a, you've, you've nailed it up till now. Was, <laughs> it's like the, the yes no thing. game, isn't it? <laughs> I was trying my best, and I was like, <laughs> I really like Andrew, so I want to make sure that I, I, I do everything that I want to make that person feel comfortable, and then I fall over at the final hurdle. At the final hurdle. That's all right. And it's, like, and it's like, it's like the great escape. It's like, good luck. And, and, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you fuck up. Yeah. Well, uh, any, anyone, anyone over 25, to... anyone over 25 is still, is still, you know, we're all building that third filing cabinet, you know. <laughs> but you'll be playing uh, a whole bunch of shows at Edinburgh Fringe. I suggest everybody checks yeah. Andrew out. Uh, brilliant live, brilliant live. I, I, I really think that that's where uh, the, the, the rich vein of Andrew's work needs to be mined, shall we say. Um, obviously, check out Damned Andrew. That's, we're, we're several shows into that now as well. I hugely enjoyed that as well. I look, for, I look forward to everything you do, Andrew. It's really uh, inspirational, and I get a lot from it. You're doing great work. Um, Here's Mark. We'll, ha we'll have you on the show again. There's, there's, not enough, there's not enough hours in the day to talk to Andrew. Um, thank you very much. I appreciate you coming on the show. An absolute pleasure. Talk to you soon. Take care. And see success and we often see all these amazing things that these people do but realize that there's a hell of a lot of work it's a hell of a struggle there's a hell of a lot of things going on that you, you don't see so it's really nice when when andrew just puts it out there you know, the, these are the things that, that happen to me talking a lot about the, the failures that they've had and the things that haven't worked out and the cliches with something getting made and then falling apart at the end it doesn't dissuade them 
doesn't stop them. It gives them, you know, even more power to push on because we're that close to getting things done. And I think there's an awful lot you could take from that. Also, you know, you, you heard me use the wrong uh, pronoun. Andrew's a guest and a friend. So I wanted to make sure that they're comfortable and I use the, the right descriptive terms that they prefer and the right pronouns. And so when you when you fuck up and you say the wrong thing, you just own that and say, you know, oh, I made a mistake. They, they, they correct you on it. You try better the next time. And that's how it should be. That's how we move forward. That's how we become better. So there's a lot of stuff I really, I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed speaking to Andrew. I really want you to check the the live show out if you are up at the Edinburgh Fringe, and you absolutely need to check out the radio show, The Damned Andrew. And I think that the everything that they do is worth, it's worth checking out. Everything they do, it seems to be uh, great and and really full of creative energy, and that's very powerful to to to, to get onto and 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 enjoy when someone's moving through and doing something that they clearly enjoy, which Andrew clearly is. Um, we'll probably get Andrew on the show again, maybe uh, one of those guests that comes on a third time. But it was just a really good conversation. I hope you got something from that. I hope you enjoyed it as well. I, I, really, I really did. So I'll put links, as always, to the various projects that Andrew's involved with and I suggest checking them all out. But once again, thanks for listening. I'll see you at the show. Really good conversation. I hope you got something from that. I hope you enjoyed it as well. I really, I really did. So I'll put links, as always, to the various projects that Andrew's involved with and suggest checking them all out. But once again, thanks for listening. I'll see you at the show. Yeah. Wow.